chapter 3 this morning. And before we start, we want to start with a word of prayer. So, Kyle, would you please lead us? chapter 2, and there were a number of statements about why Jesus, the Son of God, became a human being that first Christmas. So can you tell me some of the things that are in Hebrews 2 about why Jesus took on flesh, became like us? I've got seven things out of Hebrews 2, so you should be able to guess at least one of them. Verse 14 says, uh, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, so that through death he might destroy one who has the power of death. Okay, so there's one of the reasons is to destroy the devil or the power of the devil. Okay, we've got six more. So then, and a merciful one of those is what? What does it mean that Jesus is merciful? Shows unmerited favor. Okay. Especially to whom? Mercy has what flavor to it? And it compassion for those in misery or need, even though they don't deserve the help. So... Um, so he's merciful to us. He understands what it's like to be one of us. So what other reasons are in that chapter? We're getting most of them now. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. Okay, good. So what's propitiation? Big word. God's wrath is satisfied. Uh, 
sacrifice. Very good. So what's God's wrath? The wages of sin is death. Okay. You're absolutely right, Romans 6.23. What does it mean that God's wrath is just anger at sin as a whole thing? Okay, good, good. So God's holy hatred of sin is a righteous commitment to punish it appropriately. So that's going to come up in Romans 1 this morning. The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So we need to know what wrath is. We need to know what propitiation is that takes that wrath away. Otherwise, we're all in trouble, because that is a reality. Okay, so we've got most of the things. Um, I'll bail you out. Let's see. Taste death for everyone was earlier. Be perfected by sufferings. Um, help those who are tempted. I think that's everything. So any comments or questions on the incarnation, why Jesus became a man that first Christmas? That's in chapter 2. Okay, let's go on to chapter 3. Would somebody please read verse 1? Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Okay, thank you. So what does it mean to consider Jesus? Meditate. Okay, good. Meditate would be a great synonym. Other ones would be put your mind on Jesus, fix your thoughts on him, keep focusing your attention on Jesus. And can you think of another place in Hebrews where something similar is going to be said? Well, two ones is pay much, pay, pay much closer attention. Okay, very good. So there's close attention. And then, of course, Hebrews 12, 1 Fixing our eyes on, or 12.2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So that's a big thing. Keep our attention, keep focused on Jesus. All right. What is an apostle? Jesus is called an apostle or the apostle of our confession. What's an apostle? Yeah, basic idea is sent. Good morning, welcome. Um, the idea of sent and it's speaking with the authority of the one who sent you. So that's what the Apostle Paul is sent by Jesus and he speaks with the authority of Jesus. Jesus is sent by the Father and speaks with his authority. So let's look at John 12, 49. John 12, 49. Everything I say comes from my Father. I speak with his authority, not my own. And then what does it mean? What's a confession? He's the apostle of our confession. What is that? Confession. 
So the word confess simply means to say or speak the same thing. Um, it's a verbal, public acknowledgement or, or of faith. So that's going to show up again in chapter 4, verse 14. Would somebody read Hebrews 4, 14? Confession again, and then chapter 10 of Hebrews. Would somebody read 23? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Okay, so some of you on your Turning your background would be familiar with the Westminster Confession of Faith or the Baptist, London Baptist Confession of 1689. So confession is just a, a statement of faith that we believe and hold to. And the author of Hebrews is using that word three times in his letter to talk about this body of truth that we're called to cling to and that Jesus is the high priest and apostle of. Okay, so any questions on confession? All right, let's go back then to Hebrews 3. Would somebody read verses 2 through 6? Hebrews 2, 3 through 6. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus had been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a, of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house, if we hold to our courage and the hope of which we boast. Okay, thank you. So, how highly was Moses esteemed in the Jewish community? Go ahead, David. Very. Very, okay. That's a good one-word answer. Um, he's the great lawgiver. He's the one that led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, the human means of that, led them in the wilderness for 40 years, got them to the brink of the promised land, and spoke with God face to face, which is not said of too many other people in the Old Testament. So very high honor. Moses is one of the big ones along with Abraham, and maybe David would be the top three in the Old Testament as far as people that Jewish background people would look at like, wow, they are like the superheroes of our faith. So... Why is Jesus worthy of even more honor than Moses, according to just these verses? Obviously, you could already go back to everything else we saw about Jesus in Hebrews 1 and 2. But just from those verses, why is Jesus worthy of more honor? Too many things. It's kind of similar to the discussion we had about angels. Okay. In the 
hierarchy. It says that Moses was faithful as a servant, but that Jesus has the position of the son. Okay, good. So Moses, as high as he is, is just a servant of God's household. Jesus is son, capital S, of that household. And then there's one other piece. For you, Tammy, as an architect. The builder is okay. glorified more than the house itself. Okay, good. And so Jesus is the builder of the house. Moses was just a member of the house. Okay? So he uses a play on words on house. What is the meaning of house here? Obviously, the illustration is a house house, but what kind of house is the author talking about? People. People. So a household or a family. Um, so Joshua 24, 15, we all know that. Maybe you have a plaque on your wall. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about my spouse and my kids will serve the Lord. It's a household. So God has a family. Jesus is the son who creates that family. And Moses is simply a member of that family. Uh, so Jesus is worthy of more honor because he's the builder and not just a member of it or a servant. So any questions on that? Okay, so what do we do with the word if in verse 6? And when I was a young Christian, I had no idea what to do with if in a sentence like that. Uh, I used to listen to Keith Green back in those days, and he had a song called, I Don't Want to Fall Away From You. I'm like, what does that mean? Because I had been taught a view of eternal security. Once saved, always said, was me like that. That could never happen, so you don't have to worry about it. So then you get to Hebrews, and you see a word, if. You're like, what do I do with that? And I just didn't know. So before we address the if, let's look at other verses that use if in that Context. So, would right in Hebrews three, would somebody read verse fourteen? For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. Okay. So there's if. First um, Corinthians fifteen one and two. First Corinthians fifteen, verse one and two. I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Okay, so there's the if again, Colossians 1, Colossians chapter 1, 21 to 23.
he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to send you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Okay, so here's, so there's a couple verses from Paul with if. Hebrews has if a couple times. Here's a couple from Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Matthew 10, 22. Not going to see the word if, but the concept is there in terms of perseverance. Matthew 10, would somebody read verse 22? You will be hated by all because of my name, and it is the one who has endured to the end. Okay, thank you. And then Matthew 13, so I'm going to read 20 and 21. This is Jesus explaining the parable of the sower and the four soils. 13, 20, and 21. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Okay. And then Matthew 24. Matthew 24, 10 through 13. Last one is 1 John 2.19. 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Okay, so there's a bunch of verses that I think make it clear what's sometimes called the perseverance of the saints, which is a phrase that comes from Revelation 14. Um, that perseverance in faith is necessary and not optional. So Sometimes Christians have questions about that. And one would be, okay, if that's true, which it is, because we just saw seven verses that say so, how do I know I'll wake up a Christian tomorrow morning and not make shipwreck of faith? One option is, I'm so committed to the Lord, it won't happen. Can you think of an example in the Bible where that proved not to be helpful? Somebody said Peter. I heard a whisper. <laughs> Peter. So let's read Matthew 26. Matthew 26. 
Would somebody please read 31 to 35? Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said no to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Okay, so here's Peter, very confident. Even everybody else might fall away, but I will never fall away. Even if I have to die. And guess what? A few hours later, denies Jesus three times. And once, the first time is a servant girl. So don't you have this picture of Peter, the big burly fisherman, or think chosen, he's you know, all buff with his muscles. And, you know, it's like, a little servant girl, and that's enough to throw all, I'll never fall away, I'll die for you, out the window. And if you think you're better than Peter, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 would say, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. So we're not stronger than Peter. We're all quite weak. So here's these conditional statements. If you hold fast, if you continue, if you endure, and here's... I can't do it in my own strength or I'm a goner. So the good news is God keeps or preserves his own to the end. So let's look at some verses about that. And then we'll talk about the means he uses right in Hebrews to preserve the saints. Okay, so perseverance of the saints is necessary. Perseverance of the saints isn't going to be by the saints' own strength. So it is God's keeping power that keeps us. And so we'll look at verses for that. And then he uses means to keep us. So let's look at just statements that he keeps us. We've done this before, but it's worth reviewing after looking at those if statements. Math, or John 10, 27 to 29. John 10, 27 to 29. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Okay, so a couple weeks at small group, um, the question came up, can a Christian lose his or her salvation? And based on this verse, I said, a better way to ask the question is, can Christ lose one of his sheep? And it's a very emphatic no will come from John 10, 27 to 29. Eternal was eternal, never means never. He's holding us, the Father's holding us. Never is that gonna happen, so he keeps us. First Peter 1, three through five. First Peter 1, three through five.
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Okay, so God causes us to be born again in the first place. He has a... Uh, an inheritance kept for us. And then verse 5 says, he's keeping us by his power. So again, we're kept. We must hold on, and we are kept. Jude 24, 25. Sometimes you hear this as a doxology at the end of the service. Jude 24 and 25. Second Timothy 1.12, had this in Sunday school a few weeks back. You remember the song, but let's read it. Second Timothy 1.12. That's a great verse. Could you do 2 Timothy 1.12? Oh. Sure. <laughs> okay. Which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what he has entrusted to me. Okay, thanks. And one last one for now. Jeremiah 32. <laughs> Jeremiah 32, verse 40. Everlasting covenant, which I think would qualify as the new covenant that we just celebrated last Sunday when we took the Lord's Supper. This cup is a new covenant bought with my blood. Includes God's commitment to put the fear of God in our hearts in such a way that we don't ultimately and finally turn away from Him. God does that. He enables that to happen. So any questions or comments on... We must endure to be saved. God keeps us. And now we're looking at the means God uses to keep the saints. So first one is 7 through 11 back in Hebrews. Can I share one thing? Please the, share as many things as you want. The verse where it talks about the sheep know my voice yeah. and they follow me. Mm -hmm. Like that's legit. 
meaning that's not just an example. Like growing up, our family had a flock of sheep, and I was in charge of feeding them every morning to make sure they had water. And one day, my dad was down by the shed, and they were down there, and I yelled to him to come for supper, and they all came running to me because I was wow. the one that fed them. That's cool. So, so I'm like, and when I when I hear that verse, I think that's that's real. That's not like just a word picture. Okay. For us to feel good. Does that make sense? <laughs> it does. So, just yeah. want to share that if you didn't But the neighbor sheep thing comes. <laughs> right? Because you're not their shepherd. He had hogs. He had hogs. Okay. Hogs don't get me there. Okay. So, yeah. Thank you for helping us understand that verse better. That's great. No. Don't be sorry. That's great. All right. So, would somebody please read Hebrews 3, 7 through 11. So, again. It, what's... If we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope into the end, therefore. So in light of what I just said about if, read 7 through 11, please. Hebrews 3, 7 through 11. Yes, please. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Okay. Dun, dun. No, that's perfect. That's what you need. Um, so, does anybody recognize where those that quote comes from? Or have a footnote that tells you where it comes from? Psalms. Psalm 95. When was roughly how many years before <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 3 was Psalm 95 written? Just a ballpark number. Thousand years. Thousand years. Did you notice, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, present tense, today? So, the Bible is not just God used to speak back then. If you were living in Israel 1000 BC, David wrote Psalms and that's God did speak. It's God still speaks now, today, through the Holy Spirit, through his word. Okay? That's why we say the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. It's still speaking, it's still alive. It's not just an old dead book that used to say things, it still speaks with God's authority now. What's the main thing we're called to do or warned against in this passage? Not to harden our hearts. Okay. So don't let an unresponsiveness to God's voice happen. That's addressed to each of us, right? Don't don't harden your heart. And what's at stake in this? Well, it says they won't enter his rest. Right. And he'll spend the rest of three and four time about what that rest is. So we won't go full tilt on that. But at least it sounds like you could miss that rest if you harden your heart. Because that's what happened in the wilderness. Everybody except Caleb and Joshua died in the wilderness. Only those two and the children that were said to be going to be devoured by the giants went in. So 
That's an object lesson that the author is going to keep coming back to. He's going to keep quoting that phrase multiple times. Um, so that's the first warning is addressed to us about not hardening our hearts. And then 12 through 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Okay, good. So what are the dangers mentioned in these verses? See three of them. An unbelieving heart. Okay. Falling away from God. And being hardened. So I just said, don't be hardened. And now he's saying, sin hardens. So those are the dangers that threaten. And what is the God appointed means to prevent those? Terrible things from happening. Exhortation of his people. Yeah, encouraging or exhorting one another. How often? All the days that end in wine. <laughs> That's clever, yeah. <laughs> Every day, day after day. And then how long do we keep going at that pace? Which means what? Every day. Every day. <laughs> Don't stop, right? Because today is Sunday, October 15th. When you wake up tomorrow, you'll say, today is Monday. Each day after that is, today is this. So that just means don't stop till the Lord comes back. Every day we need encouragement so that none of us Go into this pattern of being hardened by sin, evil, unbelieving heart, fall away from God. So there's the risk, falling away. You must persevere, don't fall away. And here's the means of preserving us in faith, encouraging each other so that that doesn't happen. And notice the verb tenses in verse 14. Um, some of you heard me say before, this is what, what you tell your kids if they ask, why do I have to learn English grammar? So you understand Hebrews 3.14. Because it matters. We have become past perfect if we hold fast, present. Okay, So we don't become partakers by meeting the condition of holding fast. Holding fast is the confirming evidence that that has happened, that we're partakers, that our faith is real and we're in Christ. So you can't change the order or the verb tenses. And, and so again, that matters to know grammar. <laughs> you need to know verb tenses, not just for this verse, but for the rest of the Bible, or you will make hash out of it instead of understanding what it means. So any comments or questions on 3, 12 through to 14? 
is fall away related to what we read in chapter two, drifting away? I would say yes, and here's the connection. So the alternate is paying closer attention or drifting away, and then by three, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So there's a drifting and then a neglecting. Well, guess what happens after you drift and neglect? You just throw the whole thing, right? Remember that C.S. Lewis quote? Nobody just wakes up, says, I want to believe today. It's a drifting process. And so, yeah, I think it starts with not paying attention. You're drifting. Over time, drifting becomes neglecting. And left unchecked, drifting turns into falling away. And, and from the living God. So here's some quotes that I find helpful on this passage. And tell me what you think. So this is from John Piper. There are people in the church who treat their salvation like a vaccination. They got the vaccination years ago and assume all is well without giving any thought to the dangers of unbelief around them. They say, if I got inoculated against hell when I was six years old, I'm okay. And so getting to heaven is not a matter of vigilance over their heart to keep it from becoming hard and unbelieving. It's simply a matter of making sure the inoculation happened. These are the ones that are in tremendous danger. So I just think that's helpful right there. It's like, it's not just salvation is, oh, that happened way back. And if I can just reconstruct that event in the past, that's all I need. And here's verses in Hebrew saying, that's great that you had some kind of start, but you demonstrate the reality of that if you continue. That seed that was, fell among rocky soil gave some kind of positive initial response. It received the word with joy, but it wasn't real, it didn't last. Um, so we want to be aware of that kind of, this momentary, temporary belief, good, doesn't matter what happens or doesn't happen after that. It's these verses that we looked at earlier, if we endure, if you hold fast, if you continue. So now this is um, addressing verse 14. And you've heard me use this. I've stole it right out of here, but I always give the footnote. Eternal security is a community project. Eternal security is a community <laughs> project. And what he means by that is we speak to each other in ways that help us not be deceived by the allurements of sin. Or to put it positively, we speak to each other in ways that cause us to have hearts of faith in the superior value of Christ over all things. We fight to maintain each other's faith by speaking words that point people to the truth and value of Jesus. That's how you guard against an evil heart of unbelief. Unbelief means failing to rest in Jesus as your greatest treasure. So helping each other believe means showing people reasons why Jesus is more to be desired and trusted and loved than anything else. So you get that? So that's what verse 14 is. It's, or 13, we encourage each other. You see somebody drifting, you see somebody neglecting, you see somebody getting hardened, you encourage them, not like, hey, you're doing great. You exhort, like, wake up. What are you doing? What are you thinking? What's going on in your heart? 
you try to awaken them to the danger they're in of going off the cliff instead of persevering in faith with Jesus. And so we encourage them day after day, stick to Jesus, don't get deceived by the deceitfulness of sin and unbelief. Does that make sense? So do you agree with that quote? Is that helpful? Okay. Well, let's finish up with 15 through 19, which is the rest of chapter 3. Would somebody read those, please? So the great danger the author of Hebrews is addressing is unbelief. Not just at the level of our forefathers 1,400 years ago didn't enter the promised land because of unbelief, but you will not enter rest as an eternal rest with God if you disqualify because of unbelief. So fight unbelief in your own heart don't let your heart be hardened, and fight unbelief with each other so that nobody else is hardened into unbelief. So unbelief is the great enemy in Hebrews, at least 3 and 4, if not the whole book. But this danger of starting some kind of something with Jesus and in the original context, pressure from your Jewish relatives or the synagogue, you, you should go back, don't, don't stay with this newfangled Christian thing, come back to Judaism, come back to sacrifices, come back to the law, come back to the old ways. And, and there's a temptation to have unbelief and go back, and that's what Hebrews, in its original context, is warning against. Don't go there. Stay faithful to Jesus. That's where life is. That's where hope is. That's where rest is. That's where everything is. If you leave Jesus, you have nothing. And it's, even though none of us are probably being influenced by Jewish background people saying, you need to go back to Judaism, there's other pulls to pull us away from faith in Christ. <coughs> the world, the flesh, the devil pulls that way, and we need to fight against unbelief and help each other fight against unbelief so that we persevere, because that's the means God uses to preserve the saints. That makes sense? But okay. once saves us, he is preserving us. Yes. Period. Period. So, if, could we say, if means if he has saved you. Is that right? No. Not there. So, so your, your first premise was right. If you have been genuinely saved by God, you've been born again, you've been given new life, you've been given a new heart, if that has genuinely happened, you will persevere because God will keep you. Okay? And so I think 1 John 2.19 is the clearest. It's like they went off from us, but they were not really of us. 
for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out. Why? So that that might be shown or clear they were never really of us. So there's some kind of response that's less than saving genuine faith from a changed heart. And it shows itself by checking out instead of staying faithful. And so, so perseverance is the evidence of reality. It's not the condition of reality. Perseverance shows genuine salvation has happened. Does that make sense? Yeah. So those who have deconstructed were never saved. That's the, probably the safest assumption to make until and unless they die. And if they die before they reconstruct, <laughs> then that would show they never had the real thing. And I think we want to just allow for a category called temporary checking out, starting with a Peter. You know, we looked at Peter. Everyone's going to fall away. I won't. That night, three times, if you just took a snapshot that Thursday night, you'd say, Peter isn't a believer. Right? Wouldn't you think that? If you deny even knowing Jesus with curses and oaths, he didn't say, well, no, I don't really know him. He's like using foul language and bringing down the oath curses of God upon him if he's not telling the truth. I do not know him. It's very emphatic, very premeditated, like this isn't just a little slip. It's like, no, I don't. That sounds like deconstruct, right? A week and a half, well, oh, how long would it be? So that's Thursday. Sunday, Jesus appears to all of the disciples except Thomas. But then remember, at the lake, that morning breakfast, you know, do you love me? You know, I do. So I think the jury was out Thursday night and really until Sunday morning. <laughs> but Jesus does appear to Peter on Easter morning, we know. And again, on the seashore, and Peter, sure enough, was real. He had a temporary lapse. And so we don't want to be too hasty to say, somebody deconstructs, boom, they're going to hell, do not pass, go collect $200. There's no way. But it sure is not promising when somebody does that, if they really are a believer, that they would ever do such a thing. But let's hold out the possibility a believer could do something in a, in a temporary insanity mode and come back if they're real. If they don't come back, it wasn't real. Paul. Um, just while you were talking, I was thinking about the parable of the prodigal son mm -hmm. and the lost sheep. Okay. That those would be the same thing. That Jesus is saving us. And if we do go astray, he is still out there searching for us. If we're really if his, we, he will search us. Really if we're really his, if we're it really looks, his sheep. It looks like we've fallen away for everybody else looking like we've fallen away, but we're still his. Yeah, if we were his in the first place, yeah. we're still his, yes. And he will bring us back. So we do need to wrap it up, but um, let's pray. And um, Dave, would you please leave us? Father, again, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for the truth of who you are, and we're thankful that you bring us into your family and into your house, and we're a part of your kingdom, Lord. 
trust that you continue to keep us, watch over us, and Lord, may we be sanctified in the truth of who you are. And we pray for those who struggle with doubt and problems, Lord, we pray they can come to the knowledge of your truth by the help of the Spirit within us. And we pray for your guidance and direction in all things. Amen. Amen.